0: I want to ask you just a question this morning. What, what if our lives were meant to be lived with purpose and lived on purpose? I mean, what would, that, what would that mean for us? As opposed to say, we just think our lives are about just sort of getting up and going about our daily lives, but there's a, a purpose, an overarching purpose for, for who we are, what we are, and what we're to do. What would that mean for us? On a daily basis. How would we live differently. Because of that. And if it were true. What would the purpose be. Would it be different for each one of us. Or would there be one purpose. For all of our lives. Uh, particularly as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well according to God's word. Our lives are to be lived on purpose. And to be lived with purpose. And according to Romans 8 and 28, there is one overarching purpose that is true for, for every one of our lives. And, and that is to be like Jesus. <clears throat> God is so committed to our being like Jesus that a part of His every work in our lives is to accomplish this goal. Even before God saved us, God's Word tells us He, he predestined us To be conformed to the image of Jesus. When He saved us, He saves us to give us the righteousness of Jesus. God works in us from the moment He saves us to the moment He takes us home to change us from glory to glory. God makes it possible for us to have the mind of Jesus and the attitude of Jesus in our daily lives. God enables us to love others As Jesus has loved us. And God even enables us to be holy as Jesus is holy. That's just a small portion of what God's word says about what God does in us and through us and for us to make us like Jesus. But that small portion is enough. Those are all big changes. And it reveals that a part of God's every work in our lives, a part of God's every plan, in our lives, is to make us like Jesus. And a part of what it means to, to be like Jesus is that we would follow the example of Jesus. Now, while there's a lot of ways this would be lived out, ways we we wouldn't have time to cover in one message, there is one in specific, one specifically we're going to look at Today. Open your Bible to Mark 10 and verse 32 is where we're going to start at. Should be page 771 in the Pew Bible. When you find that, I'm asking you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Mark 10, 32. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And he took the 12 aside and he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, the son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And 3 days later he will rise from the dead. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus, saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant, that we may set one on your right and the other on your left in glory. But Jesus said, Then, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup or to be baptized with a baptism, which I'm going to be baptized? And they said to him, We're able Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. The baptism with which I am baptized, you shall be baptized. But to sit on my right or to my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the other ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles domineer over them, and their people in high position exercise authority over them. But it's not... This way among you, rather, whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant and whoever wants to become first shall be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to serve or to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The title of the message this morning is following the example of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come today. And we want to be like you. We're thankful for the many ways in which we have been changed from glory to glory already. We look at our lives and we look at what we were when you first saved us and we know there's a difference. Something you've done and we can see areas of Christ's likeness and we rejoice in your work in that. At the same time, honesty compels us to say we're not entirely like you. There are areas of our lives where we're not as we ought to be. There are areas of our lives where we don't love the way that you love. We don't care the way that you care. We don't respond the way you respond. We, we don't serve the way you served. So we come this morning and we bow before you and we ask you to, to do a work in us today. We have not gathered here because it's Sunday. And we've not gathered here to check a box so that we can say we've been to church. We're here to meet with you. We're here to be changed by you. We're here to be made to be more like you. So today, look down on each of us and begin to work on us. Begin right now preparing our hearts for what you intend to do in us and through us and for us through your word today. Let Holy Spirit come and make the word living and active so that it would... It would just speak to us in a way that we would know it was you. Lord, we don't want to hear from a preacher today. We want to hear from from you. So let us in this time as we look at your word to have a genuine encounter with the risen Christ. Speak to us with such clarity. We're forced to turn one way or another facing you and what you have said to us. Bring us this day to a moment of decision where we must choose one way or another about following You. Deal with us so clearly that we know that we're responding to You and Your work in our lives. Fill me with Your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, that I would speak Your words and Your ways for Your glory. I don't want to be a hindrance. In any way, I don't want to add to or take away what you once said. Let me be a vessel of honor that you would use for your glory to accomplish your will this day. We ask it for your glory. We ask it for the sake of our souls. We ask it for the sake of the souls of the lost around us. Amen. You may be seated. Look at verse 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. To give His life as a ransom for many. Everything in this section we're looking at today builds to this. This is the the key verse. And, And what we learn from it is that to be like Jesus, we must serve like Jesus. I mean, there's not really any way... To be like Jesus and not serve others. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms, one pastor says. We are disciples of a Savior who served. And we are to emulate His example. To be like Him, we must serve like Him. And verse 45 is the standard. We don't come to serve or to be served, but to serve. And we're willing to give our lives as a ransom for the sake of others if need be. Well, That's an awful high bar. To serve in that manner. How is it possible we can do this? As you look at the passage, it boils down to really just being a matter of focus. What do we focus on? First, we must focus on the gospel. Verse 32, they're walking to Jerusalem. We know in verse 33, we'll get to that, Jesus knows what's coming. I I like that Jesus was walking ahead of them. They don't really know what's coming. He's told them in every chapter, 8, 9, and 10 now, what's coming, but they still don't fully grasp it. Jesus knows. And knowing full well what was coming, He's not lagging in the back. They're not leading the way. They're still following Him. He knows His life, His earthly life is drawing to an end. He knows it's drawing to an end badly. But this is the point. This is the purpose. This is the reason He came. And so He's leading the way. But He knows also that when they arrive in Jerusalem, the first day is going to be pretty amazing. Whole town's going to come out, they're going to shout, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, golly Jesus, you're awesome. But over the week, things are going to change. The attitudes of the people are going to sour. The religious leaders are going to get to them. And by the end of the week, things will have gone a different way. The twelve are going to need to be ready for what's coming. So we, verse 33, he, verse thirty three, he takes them aside and he tells them. Going to Jerusalem, Son of Man Himself will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn Him to death. Then they will hand Him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him. But three days later, He will rise from the dead. Now, Jesus isn't just telling them this prediction. He is proclaiming it to them. He wants them to know what's coming. Verse 45 is the, the full interpretation of this. He is going to be condemned and beaten and mocked and spit upon and murdered and rise from the dead. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And in doing this, Jesus clarifies the gospel. The gospel is the message of the life of the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a ransom for sinners. And when we come to to God's Word, it's a big book. There's an awful lot of stuff in here. And there's a lot of things that, even within our church, if we were to say, what's your position on this? We'd probably have differing ideas. I mean, if we were to sit down and say, how do you think the end is going to happen? I mean, is there going to be a... A rapture of the saints prior to the tribulation? or the church going to go through it part way, all the way? How's all that going to work out? Almost certainly, there's going to be differences among us about how all that's going to happen. And in most of those things, that's okay. We can agree to disagree about the rapture. It's an important principle. It's an important concept. But it's not fundamental. Salvation doesn't hang on our having a certain view of the rapture. And there's lots of things like that. But when we come to this, when we come to the gospel, when we come to who Jesus is and what Jesus did, we can't have a disagreement. I mean, we can. But one of us is damnably wrong. Right? We can disagree on the rapture, both be fully devoted disciples of Jesus who love the Lord dearly, serve him with all of our hearts. If we disagree on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, one of us is so wrong, we're not saved. One of us is so wrong, we're not born again Christians at all. We're lost, deceived, but we're not saved. And in, in, in so many ways, the gospel, the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus as a ransom. For sinners, It is the key to understanding everything else in God's Word. To understand this, we do have to understand that He died as a ransom for many. Jesus wasn't a martyr for the cause. You may have heard me explain this before, but Jesus, He didn't die as poor, pitiful Jesus. Right? It wasn't... Jesus came and He did good things and He taught good things. People didn't like Him and so they had Him killed. Poor Jesus. That's not the story. The story is Jesus came to die for sinners. Jesus came for this purpose. He he came to be a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the world. Now, the idea of a substitutionary sacrifice, one dying in place of another, is a universal theme in God's word. We pick up on it almost immediately. Think about it. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin. They try to cover their own sin when God comes walking. But that's not good enough, is it? Their leaves that they've used to to cover themselves, it doesn't really cover their nakedness, does it? What has to happen? God has to, to kill an animal. And he skins it and he he makes a covering for them. A substitutionary sacrifice was necessary to cover the nakedness, the shame of their sin. Well, this sets the tone for the entire Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when someone sinned, they had to take an animal to the priest. And the priest had to offer it as a sacrifice for their sins. And everything about that sacrifice was was important. Because the the animal was taken and it was placed upon an altar. And a a bowl was put underneath its neck. Its its throat was cut. The blood was drained. It was gutted. The guts were taken here. Then a fire was placed underneath it. And the animal sacrifice was was burned up. And, And the person who offered it watched all of that happen. And it wasn't like they... Brought the animal to the priest and be like, hey, I've sinned this week, go ahead and take this. And they went on their way. They stayed and they watched it. So can you imagine, you're a Jewish person in this time. And you sin. And so you take an animal and you offer it to this priest. And you watch as it screams against its shackles and its binding. And you watch it die. And you watch it be gutted. And you watch it be burned. Well, it would teach the people three truths time after time. It taught them, one, their sin was serious. The the killing, the gutting, the burning of the animal was a, a graphic demonstration of the severity of sin. Out there they might think sin was a trifling thing, sin was a minor thing, but watching the animal die, sin was serious. But it also taught them sin had consequences. But the animal didn't die because it was time. The animal didn't die because it had a bad day. The animal died because of sin. But even more specific, the animal didn't die because of some general idea of sin. Well, there's sin in the world, so we better kill an animal. No. We watched it. That... That happened because of me. I mean, that, that was that was my sin killed that animal. But then it also taught that sin required a sacrifice. I couldn't just say I was sorry. Sorry, my bad. Couldn't have a press conference and like, well, I'm a flawed human and I made a mistake. Nope, that wouldn't cover it. Something had to die because I sinned. You think about it. Something had to die virtually every time they sinned. This was the only way they could have their sins taken away. They couldn't turn over a new leaf. They couldn't just promise to be good and do better. They couldn't make moral reforms, they couldn't just determine they're going to go to the temple or the tabernacle more often. I mean, they could do those things, but it didn't take away their sins. Only the sacrifice took away their sins. And while this sacrifice it was, it was performed repeatedly throughout their lives, throughout history of the nation. We learn in the book of Hebrews something awful. Those sacrifices never actually paid the penalty for sins. It turns out an, an animal can't die to pay the penalty for a human sin. All the sacrifice did, year after year, week after week, was remind them of their sin and its consequences. Pointed to the fact something better was needed, a better sacrifice was needed to pay the debt their sacrifice earned. Enter Jesus. John the Baptist calls the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Why call Jesus a Lamb? Because the Lamb was offered, the Lamb was killed, the Lamb was burnt take sins away. What John is telling them is what the Old Testament was a shadow of. Jesus is the fulfillment of. And on the cross Jesus took our sin. And he paid our debt. And he fulfilled everything the Old Testament pointed to. And he stayed on the cross until he cried out, It is finished. So, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we look at a cross, we see our sin serious. Everything Jesus talks about here—being mocked, spit upon, killed—it's because of us. Our sin caused that. If we were to jump ahead a chapter or two. And look at the, the actual crucifixion and all that Jesus endured. As we look through that, what we should say is, I did that. That's my fault. Our sin is serious. Our sin isn't something to be trifled with. Our, our sin isn't a minor thing. It's, it's destructive. The Son of God died because we sinned. And it teaches us our sin has consequences. Jesus died because of sin, but not because there's sin in the world. He died because of specific sin. Your sin. My sin. When we look at the cross, we should think, Jesus endured that for me. It's our fault. And as we look at the cross, we should see something better than what... The Old Testament saw, and that is that the sacrifice for our sins has been made. Aren't you glad you don't have to bring an animal to me and I don't have to offer it and kill it every time you sin? Jesus has made a sacrifice for us that is good for all times. It is just as effective today as it was on the day in which He died. If the world goes on another 2,000 years, it will be just as effective on that day as it is on this day. The death of Jesus on the cross is the only sacrifice for sins God will ever ask for. He's not ever going to say, "Okay, Jesus died for your sins, now to atone for your sins you need to do this as well. He's not going to do that. Atonement has been made. But the, the flip side of that, is the death of Jesus is the only sacrifice for sins God will accept. That's all He'll ever demand. He'll never demand you pay the penalty for your sins if you repented of your sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we don't want to repent of our sins, and if we don't want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we say, Lord, here's what I'll do, me and you will have our own special deal and I'm not really going to repent and believe on Jesus. Instead, I'm, I'm going to do twenty good works a day, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'll fast twice in a week, and I'll give tithes of all that I possess. And, and that will make up my good deeds, will outweigh my bad deeds, and I'll be enough. And God is going to say, Absolutely not. What my son did there, that's it. Nothing you can do even remotely touches the significance of that. And we can't make up for our sin on our own in any way. The only hope we have at all is through Jesus. So we can't just turn over a new leaf. We must embrace Jesus. We can't just make moral reforms. We must embrace Jesus. We can't just try harder to be good. We must embrace Jesus. We can't even be more religious. I mean, if you don't repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, you could come to church every day from now till you die. You could sit in church from sunup to sundown and do nothing but read the Bible and sing hymns. But if you reject Jesus, at the end of your life, you will still die and go to hell. Being religious does not save us. Jesus saves us. After his death, Jesus did something amazing that he warned about. He rose from the dead. He literally, he physically rose from the dead. This is just as important as his death on the cross. Now, there are many religious movements out there today that would say maybe there was a man named Jesus who died... But it wasn't a physical, literal, bodily resurrection. It was the angel Gabriel. It was the archangel Michael. Because they honored what Jesus, his life, and his testimony. Dear friend, those people are not Christians. The death of Jesus, or the resurrection of Jesus, is what makes the death of Jesus significant. If he did not rise from the dead... His death is no more significant than the two thieves who were crucified on either side of Him. But if He did rise from the dead, then everything about Him is way important. Everything He said is way more significant. Everything about His death is way more important. Everything, everything... In relation to God. Not just, not just, I mean, not just like being a free will Baptist. This isn't a free will Baptist doctrine. Free will Baptists believed this doctrine, but we didn't invent it. We came along and said, that's right, that's what we believe. This doctrine was believed thousands of years before free will Baptists came along. It's not a Baptist thing. It's not a Nazarene thing. It's a Christian thing. This is, this is the one thing all Christians have always agreed on. From this very first group of disciples on the resurrection day, here's what they believe. Jesus died for our sins and Jesus rose again. All the other stuff we believe about the end and, and stuff like that, they sort of work that out on the fly as you look to the New Testament. They had one grounding principle. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose again. Everything rises and falls on that. Everything rises and falls on that. Everything starts there. If we get Jesus wrong, it does not matter what else we get right. We are eternally damned. But embracing the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, it's not a one and done thing. It's something we have to do on a daily basis, maybe even a moment, moment by moment basis, because every day and possibly every moment. We are going to trust in something. For our salvation, we're going to trust in something. And say, because of that, I'm righteous. Because of that, I have a relationship with God. And there will always be a temptation for us to trust in other things. Ourselves. It's it's amazing. But we can, if we're not careful, come in. You know the story of a The tax collector and the Pharisee at the altar. At the Pharisee, Lord, I thank you, I'm not as other men. The tax collector, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said the tax collector went away justified rather than the Pharisee. You know, we all come in like the tax collector, or we didn't come in at all. But the reality is, over time, we can become the Pharisee. We all came in. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. But but give us 20 years of of living for Jesus. Give us 20 years of of trying to do His will. 20 years of being conformed in the image of Jesus. And before long, we find ourselves praying thus with ourselves: Lord, I thank you I'm not as other people. Lord, I'm glad we're not like those Methodists down the street. Lord, I'm glad we're we're not like those crazy Pentecostal people. Oh, Lord, those sinners that I work with, I'm glad, Lord. Aren't you glad I'm not like them? What are we trusting in in that moment? Are we trusting in Jesus? Are we trusting in something else? So we've got to guard against that. Every day, every moment, we kind of have to choose. I I trust Jesus. I'm saved because of Jesus. I'm righteous because of, of Jesus. It's not me. It's, it's always Jesus. From the moment we're saved to the day we go to heaven, it's always Jesus. Our righteousness is always Jesus. And each time we're tempted to trust anything but Jesus, we must reject this temptation and renew our trust in Jesus. His life, His death, His resurrection, the gospel. And only the gospel. See, we can't serve like Jesus served. If we're trusting in anything but Jesus for our salvation. If I begin to think I'm righteous. And I begin to think I'm pretty solid and I'm pretty good. There are going to be things that are beneath me. Right? But I, I can't come and look at what he says. Whoever wants to be prominent must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Give your life. Listen, if I'm pretty good, if I'm pretty awesome, I won't do that. I'm too good for that. That's for the peons in the world. But if my only salvation, my only righteousness is Jesus, nothing is beneath me because I'm at the bottom of the cross. I have nothing but Jesus. I can do anything He wants me to do. Following Jesus' example, it, it requires us to be like Jesus, requires us to serve like Jesus. But we, It's not that we won't, we won't, but we literally can't if we're focused on anything but the cross, anything but the gospel. We must continually remind ourselves the gospel is the foundation of our lives. It is central to everything. And then we have to let it be central to our interactions with others, which leads to focus on the example of Jesus. So Jesus talks about his death. James and John, in what appears to be almost immediately are like, hey, that's cool, but we've got a question. Verse 35. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And He said to them, what do you want? And they said, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in glory. Now those were the places of honor, right? We we don't think much about that in our day, but tables then were, they weren't like a round table. It was more like the altars here. So... Jesus would sit here. He's at the place of honor. But then the person here at his right hand, that's the second most important person at the table. And this is the third most important. And then each one down falls down the rank of who's important at the table. Now, typically, if I'm understanding it properly, there wouldn't be someone who sat at this end. Right? They wouldn't have two that would be at the head. There's one head, nobody sits at the end. So the person here, is the least important person at the table. So what, they're, what James and John are asking are, we want to be here and here. That, that's the question. It's ambitious. They, they want preeminence. They want prominence. Jesus asked them, verse 38, tells them first, you don't even know what you're asking about. And He asked them, are you able to drink the cup I'm going to drink? And be baptized with the baptism which I'm going to be baptized. What's he talking about? He's talking about his death. The the baptism of suffering. The drinking, the the wrath of God. He's trying to to lead them out of their bubble of thinking how important they are. And leading them to the ultimate conclusion of making sure they understand that, that this isn't about being a spectator at the table. And saying look how close we are to Jesus. This is about going out and doing what Jesus did. Right? That's what he's leading them toward, isn't it? He's leading them toward not seeing themselves as spectators who sit at the table with Jesus while the peons run around and serve everybody. He's leading them to the place of saying, we're just here to serve. right? we're here to do the will of our Father. We see this over and over. And I did not realize how long I had taken on that first point. I got carried away. So we got to move quickly. So he 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 talks them and what he's leading them toward is not seeing themselves as spectators. Right. And and isn't that kind of a temptation we can fall to? Right. Well, I'm just I'm here with Jesus and then the, the peons can serve all of us. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Now, the others hear about it. Verse 41, they're indignant with James and John. Now, it would be great to say they were indignant because they thought that's arrogant, but given the fact that a few chapters earlier they were like arguing with each other, I think I'm best. I think other than Jesus, I'm like the top dog around here, right? Probably what they're indicted of is, why did we think of that, God, idiot? We should have asked for that, right? When we get to verse 42, Jesus calls them to himself and is reminding them the kingdom of God is different than the kingdoms of the world, right? Those who in the in the world. Those who are recognized as rulers, domineer. They rule. And they exercise authority. So they sit at the table and the peons serve them. But in the kingdom of God, it's it's different. The one who wants to be a leader, to be a prominent, has to be a servant. And the one who wants to be first has to be the slave. Has to be the the servant of all. And what he's leading them and us toward is verse 45. Because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. He said, y'all want to sit at the table and have everybody serve you, but you didn't learn that from me. That's not the example I've set for you. He's going to wash their feet before it's all said and done. He he says, I I have set an example of serving everyone else. Of course, the ultimate way he served others was to give his life, which we've already talked about. This is the example of Jesus. And and, and I'll be honest, this is hard. This is one of those things that I mean, it doesn't even sound easy. Some things in the Bible sound easy. You try to live them out and they're really, really hard. But I'll be honest, there's not one thing in verse 43 through 45 I find to be easy sounding. I mean, I know lots of people who want to be leaders and who want to be prominent. But to do that, you have to be a servant. I mean, that's... That's rough, but not just a servant, but but a slave of all, right? So the picture, the picture isn't that like I'll be a servant to Judy because maybe Judy can do something for me, I'll be a servant to Evelyn and Jackie because I really like them. It's a servant to to all, willing to do for anyone whatever I can, up to the point. Maybe even having to lay down my life. Now, having to lay down our life sounds extreme, and it's not likely we'll have to do that. But how about having to give of our lives? How about having to get out of our comfort zone? How about having to do what we don't want to do? How about having to give up our days off? How about having to, to give a higher standard of giving than what we might be more comfortable in giving? All of these things would be encompassed in being a slave of old. This is the example of Jesus. This is the example we're to follow. Now, here's how following the example of Jesus helps us to focus on the example of Jesus. It's easy to think we're too good for certain things. We shouldn't have to serve Him. What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Oh, He he washed the dirty feet of the disciples. And if the Lord of all, King of kings, wasn't above that, Yes, I'm not above it either, right? That's how we focus on the example of Jesus. We get to thinking, we're special, we're, we're excellent, we're good. Oh, well, Jesus did the dirty, nasty things. Gosh, I guess the Lord of glory did the dirty, nasty things. I guess I can do those things as well. I'm, I'm certainly not better than Jesus. But even with this, this following the example of Jesus, we have to notice the context is again about His Death as a ransom for many. Because even being a servant can be something that we use to make our righteousness. I'm clearly righteous because look at all I do. Look at all the people I serve. And rather, our righteousness is always based upon the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Everything we do as disciples of Jesus is because of what Jesus has already done for us. We serve others because on the cross, Jesus has served us. We deny ourselves and take up our crosses because Jesus denied himself and took up his cross in our place. We give our lives as a living sacrifice because Jesus Gave up his life for us. We love people and generously do what we can to help people because Jesus loved us and generously did what he could to help us. We give sacrificially because Jesus sacrificially gave himself for us. We live a crucified life with Christ because Christ was crucified for us. We strive to live holy lives because Jesus sacrificed himself to pay the penalty for our sins. Everything we do as disciples of Jesus is built on the foundation of what Jesus has already done for us. Everything. Everything in our lives always comes back to the cross. It always comes back to the gospel. It always comes back to Jesus. We cannot faithfully serve Jesus apart from serving him through the cross. I mean, we can't even come to Jesus except through the cross. But once we come to Jesus through the cross, we sort of naturally begin to follow his example. Because following him requires us to take up our crosses, deny ourselves. And when once I'm denying myself and I'm crucified with Christ, well, sacrificially serving others is no big deal. There is no such thing as a selfish, self-centered disciple of Jesus. There is no such thing as selfish, self-centered following Jesus and His example. This is why we cannot faithfully serve Jesus except through the cross. Everything rises and falls on what Jesus has done for us. To be like Jesus, we must serve like Jesus. To serve like Jesus is to follow His example giving our lives if need be for others as we come to the end a message like this demands a response and there's a lot of ways we could respond but i think there's several which we'll cover quickly just i think we we could all probably do well to, to wrestle with. I think to come to an end of a message like this. We could all probably think about our need to repent. You know repentance isn't just coming to Jesus to be saved. We, the life of a disciple is a life of repentance. Is there any self-seeking in your life? Repent. Is there any self-exaltation in your life? Repent. Is there any pride that makes you think you're better than others? Repent. Is there any pride that makes you think there's a task beneath you in serving Jesus? Repent. We we must believe the gospel. Again, the gospel is, is central. At all moments of our lives, we are trusting in something for our salvation and our righteousness. Believe the gospel. Believe that only through Jesus are we righteous. Serve sacrificially, follow the example of Jesus. Jesus' service wasn't easy. it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't convenient. Following his example won't be either. It requires us to serve sacrificially. Seek Jesus in everything. We need him at all moments in our lives. We need him. To keep us from getting proud. We need Him to remind us to repent. We need Him to remind us to believe the gospel. We need Him so that we can see His example to serve sacrificially. Share Jesus with others. This isn't just a message about serving. It's a message that we serve because of what Christ has done. What He has done in us, He wants to do in all. There are people in all of our lives who do not know Jesus. And if we won't tell them who will, be transformed. This isn't easy. And it probably goes against the natural grain of all of our lives. How are we going to do it? Be transformed. God is actively working to make us like Jesus, the Spirit of God. It's working through the Word of God to make us like the Son of God. Cooperate with that work. Surrender your heart to Christ and be transformed and then surrender, which really is the key to it all. Everything we've talked about requires us to surrender. Believing the gospel, repenting, requires us to surrender. God's right, we're wrong. Believing the gospel requires us to surrender we have no righteousness other than Christ serving sacrificially requires us to surrender our preferences our desires our wishes deny ourselves take up our cross follow jesus seek jesus in everything requires us to deny ourselves it requires us to surrender to what jesus wants above all else to share jesus with others requires us to surrender To tell people about Jesus, even though it might be an uncomfortable conversation. Being transformed requires us to surrender to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives so that we can be like Jesus. Is there individual responses? You'll make your response. I'll make my response. But make no mistake, every one of us will respond today. The words of Jesus always bring us to a place where we have to choose one way or another. I think every time we read God's word, particularly the words of Jesus, we should see it as bringing us to a fork in the road. We've come to the end of the message. And now we're all going to go forward in our lives. And we have a choice. We can go forward with Jesus or we can go forward with ourselves. But, but we're all going forward, right? Right? We're not just going to stay in the church and sit here and never move from this spot. We are going to get up in just a moment. And we're going to walk out of this church and in that moment we're going with Jesus or away from Jesus. There's no in-between. I know that sounds harsh, but that's the reality. Right now, in this moment, you and I, we have a choice to make. But the thing is, it's not just the choice today. We're going to Right now we may come up to the altar and say, I, Jesus, I choose you. And then we're going to go out and we're going to go eat somewhere. And the service is going to be slow, maybe, because it's Sunday and they're busy. The food might be cold. And we're going to have a choice. Do we serve those people like Jesus or do we act like wagons? What are we going to do? It's a choice. And then we're going to go out to our jobs this week. I don't know about your job, but probably there's people out there that will make your life difficult. What are you going to do? Are you going to serve them like Jesus, slave to all, or are you going to just jump up and tell them how you feel? You're going to go home. One of the purposes of a marriage is to sanctify us. You know how we're sanctified, right? In the fires of difficulty. Marriage requires us to I mean, there's friction, isn't there? I mean, not in all sorts. maybe there's something in mind there. Friction. You have know, a choice to serve your spouse, to serve yourself. One of those is like Jesus. One of those is not. So this isn't choose now forever the bad. It is choose now, and then choose in a moment, and then choose in another moment, and then choose in another moment. For those who are ready to surrender to Jesus, I am going to ask everybody to stand. And I'm going to invite you to come to Jesus and surrender your life. But more importantly, this, this we have looked at the words of Jesus. Jesus is inviting you to come to Him and surrender your life to Him. Are you ready to respond? You're going to respond. Are you ready to answer His invitation and surrender your life to Christ? So I'm going to pray. And if you're going to surrender your life to Christ, then come forward and surrender it at the altars. Lord Jesus, we love You. You're great and glorious. Work in our hearts today and help us to follow Your example. Help us to see the cross as the basis and the foundation of it all in our lives. We need you, Lord. We're proud. We're arrogant. We're self-righteous. We're self-sufficient. We're self-seeking. And Lord, that's just me. Help us repent of these things. Help us believe the gospel at all times. Let our lives be characterized by surrender to you.